I'm Euro. I'm Chris. I'm Eric. And, and this, this is Fort Bomb. Bomb. Thursday, August 3rd, 2017, episode 14, Into OS2. So, I wanted to talk a little bit about uh, the history of OS2 before we dive into uh, into a few things that uh, uh, I liked and disliked, and we all can discuss our likes and dislikes, and uh, and and maybe our uh, our attempts to use the uh, the operating system. So, Eric, uh, I believe you've used OS two before, right? Yes, I have. Okay, and this is actually our first time, uh, Chris and I's first time using OS two. So uh, it was really neat to learn about it, and uh, it is an important part of computer history. And I don't think that a lot of people know about it. So um, you know, this, this is going to be fun. Uh, so a little bit about the history. The OS2 operating system was developed by IBM, cooperating with Microsoft to go along with its new Personal Computer 2 or PS2 line. Codenamed CP-DOS, it was later renamed to OS2 1.0 in 1987. Communications such as Land Manager and database-oriented extensions such as SQL were delivered in 1988 as part of OS2 1.0 Extended Edition. At first, the operating system was text-only, but a year later, a GUI was developed for it called Presentation Manager with OS2 1.1. In 1989, version 1.2 introduced most notably the HPFS file system. It provided a number of improvements over the older FAT file system, including long file names. The extended edition of OS2 1.2 introduced TCP IP and Ethernet support. OS2 and Windows books promoted OS2 as the system for the future. In 1990, there were various disagreements between Microsoft and IBM. The joint venture to build OS2 broke up around the time Windows 3.0 and OS2 1.3 came around. One of the reasons why Windows 3.0 was a success was because it came bundled with most new computers, while OS2 was an extensive standalone software package. Driver support was also an issue with OS2, and most hardware manufacturers provided drivers only for Windows. There were many other iterations of OS2 until OS2 Warp, 4.5.2, which was released in 2001, however, never reached the popularity of even rival operating systems of the time, let alone Windows. So that's a little bit of the history uh, behind OS2, and I did have a few questions, and my first question is, Chris, how was your experience installing OS2? Uh, Did you run into any issues, any any driver issues or anything like that? No, um, I didn't experience many, well, I, I tried OS2 on two machines. Uh, first, I tried it on my Compact Presario 5204. Uh, that has the AWE64 sound card um, and the an ATI Rage Pro LT video card, and that did not work very well. Um, I couldn't even get it to boot. I could get it, I could, I could uh, uh, get it to install, but not boot. But I just so happened to have a 1997 IBM Aptiva with an S3 Verge video card and a 3Com network card, and that worked perfectly. I was um, dedicated to the idea of running it on real hardware rather than in a virtual machine, which while it runs fine, while it runs fine in a virtual machine, I just love the idea of running it on physical hardware. Um, so once I got that going, then I was able to play with it extensively. So. To answer your question, yes, at first, but I found old enough hardware to get around it. Did you have to install any drivers for this older hardware, or did it just did it just 
come with the operating system? It came with the operating system. Okay. So no, no driver installation. Eric, what was your experience with uh, OS2? And can you maybe let us know when your first time uh, using OS2 was? Well, actually, uh, my first time using OS2 was actually giving it as a recommendation for a friend of mine's father because he had used uh, Windows. He was getting tired of it. He was uh, you know, frustrated with Windows and it had so many problems. So I had looked into the idea of OS2 Warp as uh, the original idea to replace his Windows. And, you know, it was actually an interesting thing for it because when he did use it, he did mostly like it. And uh, he had played games on it with it and even old DOS games, which he was amazed at just as much as I was amazed that when playing certain games, I mean, DOS games, for example, you could sit there and hit the Alt-Enter key and it would just shrink it down from a full screen into a window, which was the first time you could ever see something like that. And this was OS2 Warp 3.0 in the blue box. So it wasn't like, uh, actually, no, sorry, it was the red box, not not the one with good TCP IP support. Um, but yeah, um, I, I started with it back then because he eventually gave up on it and gave it to me and I started working with it from there and I was like, Hmm, I can make use of this. So eventually, I, I I get more into it. So it's interesting that you that you point out the red box and the blue box, etc. Because I believe that one of the differences between the red and blue was that didn't the blue come with a uh, wasn't it like a pre built version of DOS 5.0, and then later on it came with a full or maybe almost full version of of Windows. Um, so that way you could run your applications, your DOS applications and Windows application within the OS2 environment. Right. Uh, the, the blue box came with uh, Windows with it, and the, the red box was more limited. And also the blue box had networking support, whereas the red box had some level of network, but not, not everything. It was a weird hodgepodge. <laughs> Interesting. Yes. Um, did you try any uh, – uh, Chris, did you try any software? On uh, on OS2 Warp, that would be uh, like DOS-based or Windows-based? Yes. Um, I tried a few games. Um, the only game that I got, the only DOS game that I got to run was Stunts, which installed and ran perfectly. So um, sound compatibility, video compatibility, that all worked perfectly. Uh, I attempted to install TIE Fighter and Star Trek... The next generation of Final Unity, but there appears there appears to be some weird bug with some DOS games where it will see. For for some reason, it thinks that my hard drive space is in the negatives, like it thinks I have negative hard drive space. So it says that I have no hard drive space and would not install. So I guess I could manually copy the folders over, and that might work. But I haven't investigated it much further. Um, I did play around with the Windows 3.11 compatibility layer, um, and I attempted to install f- Adobe Photoshop 4. The installer ran, but the application itself would not launch. Interesting. But I did play with a few native OS2 applications, if you want to hear about that. Yeah, sure. Um, go ahead. So one thing I love to do with... Uh, Retro operating systems is see if it can play music from digitally imported or di.fm, and I was able to do so. 
Uh, so I have a Sound Blaster 16 in the IBM Aptiva, and there is a program called PM123, and was able to play uh, MP3s in general, and uh, as well as uh, streams from DI, DI.FM, and, and it sounds really good, so that was fun. Um, in the process, well, also I played with uh, Netscape 4.6 and browsed the web with an ancient web browser, which is always kind of fun for about three minutes. Um, <laughs> and but, secure. Yeah. But I also learned about the software installation process under OS2, and there isn't a very good one. Um, so it seems that there was no unified installer a- ever made for it officially. But there is an open source software installer called Warpin, which is actually licensed under the uh, GPL. And it has full dependency management. Um, well, not management, but it's able to tell you, hey, before you can install this, I need this. And you can go and download that and install that. But you're able to install things, uninstall things in a way that wasn't natively, cap- um, that Warp isn't able to do without the use of warp in. And there is still a large repository of software online that you can download warp in packages for uh, from and uh, and play with them. Interestingly, you're also able to install software through the yum package manager. And for anyone who does not know, yum is the package manager that is used on Red Hat based systems. So Apparently, it's possible to install some uh, Unix and Linux utilities through the Yum Package Manager from uh, Yum repos that are compatible with OS2. I have not yet managed to do that myself, but I found it interesting that you can do it. Uh, Eric, have you tried that? Because uh, I'm actually wondering what differentiates a package that is for OS2 and another one that is for just general Linux uh, in Yum. Well, I hadn't actually tried that yet because I I hadn't gotten in that far into it uh, on the current versions. But it is definitely an interesting concept. But as as Chris did say, uh, there was no unified installer like there was for Windows, which only really came about around Windows 95, which was the Windows installer or the Microsoft installer, which is now MSI. Uh, but yeah, OS2 did not have its own installer. In fact, you could pretty much install most things just by copying them to the system and then running it, just like you could can a Mac these days. Can on the Mac, right. Um, may I interject, please? Yeah. So to answer your question, Euro, what, different, what differentiates the, those packages? Um, a lot of those utilities are probably written in C, and so so long as you have a C compiler for an operating system, the package can be compiled and made to run on that operating system. So you have a C or C++ compiler on Linux or Unix or on OS2, and so long as you can compile it, chances are you can run it. So the differentiation is some person or peoples compiled those packages on a C compiler or compatible compiler, choose your language, on OS2, and made them available in a YUM-compatible repository for the YUM that runs on OS2. Well, thanks for answering that. I, I, um, and I'm not 100, I'm not too familiar with YUM. Uh, however, I thought that a lot of programs were dependent on things like the kernel. You're familiar and, with apt, right? Yes. It, it is pretty much like that. 
you uninstall okay, so, a thing. So it's, uh, you don't run into the issue of uh, kernel dependency or system resource dependencies or anything like that? That's a better question for Eric. Um, yes and no. Um, no, because the operating system was pretty much locked standard uh, as, a, as an operating, a full-scale operating system. Um, yes, because you had to have at least the certain the at least the minimum version of the operating system to be able to run certain programs. Okay, interesting. Uh, I'm just wondering if there's anybody out there running um, I don't know Winamp, uh, you know from from Yum on uh, or you know whatever version of Winamp there there's out there. Uh, um, definitely not. Um, you're probably only going to find open source packages in a Yum repository. Sure, sure. I meant like a modern, uh, modern MP3 player, things like that. Modern uh, video player, something uh, similar to VLC, being able to run that on OS2. You can actually run VLC, and you can even run modern Firefox on OS2. And the dependencies for which can be installed with Yum on OS2. That's great. I tried and failed at that one. That's great. I'm glad that there's a community that uh, keeps these programs alive and they they would port them over to or compile them for OS2. So uh, there's probably not a lot of OS2 users out there, but for the few that are out there, they're, they seem to be a pretty diehard uh, community then. After OS2 Warp was discontinued in 2001 um, and the official support ended in 2006, there are a couple of uh, companies that are continuing support for it with their own versions of OS2. One is called Ecom Station, and the other one, which was most, which was recently released um, this year, is called Arca OS, uh, which was released for general availability May fifteenth, two thousand fifteen, and is a modernized version of OS2 that is available for purchase for companies that still have OS2 based software that still need uh, compatibility with it. Yeah, and that's something that, uh, that we haven't really talked about yet, and it's the, uh, the amount of, of devices and machines, actually, that still run OS2. Uh, there's a lot of ATMs that use OS2, uh, cash registers, and, and uh, other, uh, I don't want to call them hosts, so I'll call them machines. Uh, you know, devices, uh, no machines <laughs> um there's a there's a lot of different types of machines that actually still run that and companies don't want to go and invest on new hardware and and why should they these run just fine well so part of the reason for the uh new os2 based uh, distros is so you can run os2 on newer hardware uh just reading the um so arca os 5.0 reading off the uh, features the ability to install from DVD media, uh, delivery of ready-to-boot virtual appliances for select hypervisors, current Firefox and, and Thunderbird email clients, uh, several productivity applications, updated hardware drivers to support more modern systems and devices, updated Arca Noe Snap accelerated video driver, updated Samba 4, which is the most recent version of Samba, based wow. networking to connect to today's heterogeneous environments. A new package manager to help keep systems up to date, which the Arca OS package manager is YUM-based. New look for the 21st century, enhanced kernel with the ability to utilize system memory above 4 gigabytes. Well, now I want to install that. 
<laughs> right? You'll have to buy or pirate it. Yeah. Of course I would buy it. <laughs> Support the developers. It's like one guy, too. Support the developer, then. <laughs> I believe yeah, Arca OS is uh, $99 for the personal edition. 229 for the commercial. It's worth it. All for the cause. For the cause. So, I had a few... Uh, I, uh, what should I call this? Uh, just likes and dislikes on the operating system when I was trying it out. And uh, I, I wrote a few down. And I was just wondering what uh, your opinion was on the operating systems too. So let me run through this list of of, uh, of likes and then we can maybe all discuss our, our likes and then we'll go through our dislikes, etc., etc. So uh, one of the things that I liked about it was uh, you're able to run Windows programs uh, using, you know, what they called real Windows, which kind of actually was. I mean, it was full-blown Windows within the OS2 uh, package. So you actually were running Windows within the operating system. So I, I, that's neat. And, uh, and I did, I did like that flexibility of being able to do that. Uh, another thing is that it uses object oriented programming. And that was really new at the time. Uh, now we take it for granted, drag, drop, things like that. But back then it was uh, a new concept and this operating system seemed to be built all around that. The ability to customize menus. Um, all I had to do was just right click the desktop, go to the menu tab, and add new menus and actions. And uh, that's something that I can't even do in Windows nowadays. Uh, perhaps in Linux somewhere. But uh, but I'm not able to do it on my own operating... Uh, on, on what I'm running right now on my computer. Uh, updating software and getting help is available right on the desktop sidebar. So on, on that taskbar, I don't know if um, back then... And, and by back then, I mean in the 2000s. Early Mac, Mac OS X would have the this this thing that would jump on the in the dock that would tell you that there's an update and it would just keep jumping up and down and up and down and there was a joke about it on YouTube like but, a Jack Russell uh, fucking terrier that's right that's right uh, <laughs> so so it, it, it would uh it was annoying but it would tell you that there's an update in OS2 it's not quite as annoying but it's pretty neat that you all you had to do was just right click that section and and there was the option to be able to do a software update so uh it was less buried than in windows and windows didn't even windows didn't even really have that until i want to say maybe windows xp no let's go back probably windows 2000 windows 95 actually had it windows 95 had the the uh windows update windows update section under a control panel, right? Right. Okay, so under a control panel, right. So, uh, but that one, again, it was buried. This one was right there on your taskbar. I like that. That was that was pretty neat. And Windows actually did not include that. I actually don't even think they still have that. No, you still have to go to start and control panel and okay. So, uh, I prefer that. And actually, Apple also does that. If you click on the uh, Apple on the top left and go to... Uh, you know about your computer and then system update but yeah it's uh it was right there available um on the os2 um let's see here i have dos programs seem to run on os2 it so it and of course it did because it had its own uh its own full-blown dos as well i like that i could just type in qbasic on even the os2 prompt and i was taken directly to 
not Microsoft QBasic, but IBM QBasic. Now, I don't know what the difference is. To me, it looks exactly the same, but they do point out on there that it says IBM QBasic. Um, so that was that was neat. Uh, OS2 also comes with a lot of built-in applications, and it feels really complete. I was uh, using the TCP IP uh, app, uh, and they have um, they have a, a ping app too, uh, its own ping app. You don't have to run a command or anything like that. They had a few other apps, but the one that actually impressed me the most was uh, Game Chess, which I had seen in a bunch of different Google images, and um, I found it. And I like that you can spin the board around. It 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 was pretty neat. I don't know. I, I mean, of course, nowadays we have m- more modern chess games, but just the just that one built into OS two is it's it's great. Um, well, the last thing that I think was was neat, but I wasn't able to test it out. I just read about it. Was the support for multiprocessing and multithreading. Uh, I was watching uh, Computer Chronicles, and they showed an example of a uh, a publishing program where you can set the number of processors uh, to perform different workloads. So this guy was clicking through and adding filters and whatnot and doing a bunch of different things all at the same time. It, it was Nobody would actually use a program like this unless they knew exactly how they wanted to manipulate the image. But he was just showing it off to you know see how he was showing off the program. So that way you could see the multiple workloads and everything in action. You could see how quick and snappy the OS is, uh, and the pro- this application uh, using those the that OS uh, the ability to use this multiple multiple processors. So and it was it was in fact very quick and everything. And actually, you could add up to sixty four processors to um, to that app. So this this operating system was pretty advanced. Also in that. Uh, I know at the time, Windows NT supported what was two processors for Windows NT Workstation. I don't remember how many processors Windows NT Server supported, but uh, I'll, I'll probably have to look that up later. But uh, but yeah, it was just really neat that OS2 could do that, um, I think, on any version. So um, how about you guys? Uh, did you have any um, anything you guys liked about the operating system? Anything that stood out? Um, well... I definitely liked how it handled a lot of things that you couldn't do, normally do in Windows at the time, which uh, was the really good multitasking capability of it. It was just a workhorse in comparison to what Windows was at the time. Um, it definitely handled uh, communications and networking a lot better. Like You could have multiple different modems connected to it and use them all at the same time, which was very difficult to work with. In Windows at the time, like it, it was one of the first operating systems to kind of differentiate how interrupts were handled for such things. And so you could actually run for even up to eight modems on a single computer with OS2 warp. So you could basically run your own little modem based ISP on OS2. Practically, yeah. Wow. Um,. Some of the, the, the definite features of it was, you know, it was different than Windows, and in some ways it was confusing at first, but once you got used to the idea of it, it was actually kind of neat, kind of clean. Um, things wouldn't just close because you clicked the X button. Things would close because you told it to actually close. <laughs> and, and I actually do have uh, some, some things to comment about that uh, when I go into my dislike rant. <laughs> right. <laughs> um 
yeah, that 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 was definitely a, a difference in how things were work, work with it. But above all, it was it was a multitasking workhorse, which made it very powerful for its day. Very neat. How about you, Chris? Um, I guess I'll speak to the interface and some of the multitasking capabilities. So keep in mind, OS two. Um, I guess the the version we were all using for our test was uh, 4.5.2, which came out in 2001. But even back in the three days when your best bets were DOS, Windows 3.1, and Mac OS, it was far above advanced compared to those two um, in its interface and with its multitasking capabilities. So with 4.5.2, simultaneously I had a DOS window formatting a floppy disk for me. Meanwhile, I was streaming music from Digitally Imported, and the operating system has a built-in FTP server that I had running that I was simultaneously sending files to. Um, The interface, for anyone who's used to a modern interface, is quite foreign. But at the time, the Windows standard that we're all used to was not set. The minimize, maximize, and close layout. So yes, the Windows did have three buttons. But one was maximize, one was close, which was in a different position than you would expect and wasn't on the next. And the, and the other one wasn't exactly minimize, it was more like iconify. So while there huh. is a bottom panel with a start menu-like menu, there is no task bar as we're used to. So there is no bar that shows you you are, you are running programs. You do have some handy icons on the bottom, like access to your files and system setup and some level of customizability. But the uh, quote mode, start menu, end quote mode, um, that we're used to only reflects what's on the desktop. So it's just a more convenient way to look at your your desktop, your your, uh, desktop items. Um, But there are some modern things about the interface, despite its oddness. It has the ability to show Windows contents while dragging. You are able to resize the window from any side of it, not just from the bottom right-hand corner. Uh, You have scroll bars that resize to the contents of the window. But one thing that I found really odd was the settings panel has a tabbed interface, which for the time was extremely modern. Like, we only started getting excited about tabbed interfaces when, when Firefox came out, I guess? Right. But this has a tabbed interface for its settings, but while the file browsers and web browsers and many other applications have scroll bars. Anything anything that has to do with system settings, there are no scroll bars. Instead, it uses a page-flipping metaphor. So it'll have a little section of the upper right-hand portion of the tab, the tabbed window that is selected with a... It, it'll look like it's dog-eared. And underneath that dog-ear will be a, a plus sign. And when you click on that plus sign, it'll show you the next section of that setting. Or if you're at the bottom, it'll just go to the next tab. Yeah, I remember seeing that. Uh, and I, at first, I didn't know what it was. And I was confused. But uh, but I did see that. I did see that. And uh, it's pretty neat. Um, but it also... So what's also interesting about OS2 Warp is it has a fully functional TCPIP stack. And the version that we were playing with actually came with Netscape Communicator and it also had the ability to update itself via the the uh, via the the uh, web or or the internet. And what's amazing is if you load up 
the latest version of OS, OS2 Warp 4.5.2 and open up the software update option from the menu, it goes to IBM's website with the OS2 update packages and they are still there and they are still up and you can still download them and apply them. That's great. I wonder uh, if it's where they're being hosted, um, IBM is hosting them. They're on IBM servers. Hmm. Probably on some... <laughs> I'm, I, I would like to think they're on some old, neglected OS2 machines running in an ancient IBM server rack somewhere. That... <laughs> that I, I would rather think that than it's than it being on some cloud server somewhere. It would just would seem more appropriate. Yeah. Um, well, I uh actually did have some dislikes about the operating system. Um and I and I wrote these down as well. And I actually remember writing these down first, and then I wrote the likes. So um let me go through this list and, and see what you guys think. Um so I put closing windows is in a different spot than Windows, which could throw off some users. Not as different as Mac OS, however. Uh, button is on the right side of the Windows toolbar, but all the way to the left. But and that, OS 2 came first. OS 2 came first, then Mac OS. So you're used to the Windows 95 paradigm, which has the close button on the upper right-hand corner. That's correct. Then to That's the correct. left was... Um, does it go close, minimize, maximize, or no, close, maximize, minimize? Close, maximize, minimize on OS 2. Mm, no, on OS 2, it's maximize close, on maximize. the upper right, minimize in the middle, and close on the left. But you're saying it's, it's different compared to, what, compared to what you're used to, but it came before. But OS 2 came out first. It came before what you're used to. Sure, sure. Okay, okay. Um, so I, I guess just going back to using OS2, it's a, just just challenging in that there's some things that are that we are used to in a different spot now. So uh, it, it may not be it may not be as uh, intuitive to just jump into for new for new users that are used to using other operating systems, uh, especially when it has these little uh, different things. Um, another thing I put on there is that uh, uh, interesting that uh, programs have DOS and Windows properties uh, right right on the set. Wait a minute. No, forget that. I don't even know what I was trying to write there. <laughs> uh, not sure what the associate. Oh, okay. All right. Another one that I found that I just was never clear on what it was is uh, I'm not really sure what the association tab is for under properties of a program. Uh, Eric, do you know? Um, that wasn't in OS2 Warp 3 that I had used back in the day, so I, I really don't know. Okay. I ran into a few other ones where I, I would click on it, and I I didn't really know what it did. Um, I I did also put put on there that uh, that you can page the next tab, but that wasn't really something that I, that I liked or disliked. It was just neat about the page fold. Uh, to me, it wasn't really necessary. It was just kind of more stuff on the screen because you could just simply click on the next tab, but it's there, and it's okay. Uh, I found the DOS ping utility much harder than it should be. So with ping, I'm, I'm just used to typing in ping and then and then putting in an address. And this DOS ping utility, I had no idea what was going on. I would double-click it, and it was just a black screen. So and, um, did you try the OS2 ping utility? No, I, I just this is just the DOS ping utility. 
I didn't try the OS 2 one. So if you open up a, um, so there's actually a, uh, sorry to cut you off, but there is a, a little section that, um, a menu in the taskbar that um, has options for opening up various command lines. One is for DOS, one is for OS2, and the other is a Windows 3.1 windowed or full screen session. If you open up OS2 and OS2 prompt in a window, then you can type ping and the address and it just works. Sure, and I think you could probably even do that under the, the uh, command, on any command prompt, right? Yes. From OS2? Including right. the uh, DOS command prompt. Including the DOS. Uh, but there's a program with an icon and everything that is the DOS ping utility. Click on that, and then, I don't know. I don't know what happens after that. Hmm, let me try that. <laughs> Maybe a planet gets blown up somewhere, but who knows, because it's just a black screen. Utilities, TCP IP, LAN. Oh, there it is, DOS uh, ping. Yep. Oh, that, oh, that's just fucking weird. Yep. <laughs> um... It's pinging 0.0.0.0. So it's pinging the broadcast. Yeah, it's so interesting I guess it's that it's even, you that it's able to get out. It's interesting that it's even doing that. For me, at least on, on VirtualBox, it would just not do anything. It wasn't even doing that. It was just a black screen. I'm doing that in VirtualBox. Well, then, eh. <laughs> Didn't do that with mine. I don't know. I had a different image. Um, I, I should mention one thing that is really neat, though. So... Um, Yura, you remember what kind of effort it took to get a TCP IP stack going on just plain DOS, right? Yes. So if you, the fact that you're in an operating system that is not DOS, and that you can open up a DOS window, and that TCP IP is already there and working, that's kind of cool. That is really, really cool, except the DOS ping utility still sucks, in that it didn't work for me. Actually, no, because I might be mistaken. because you were supposed to write in the, a DOS prompt. Okay, so I just opened up a, <laughs> a, a DOS window under OS2, and I, and I tried to ping Google, uh, Google.com. That did not work, but I could ping 8.8.8.8. So for some reason, it doesn't it have resolve. name resolution. The DOS window's mm-hmm. getting out, but it's resolve. not getting DNS. Right. Yeah, that was the thing about it. It, it didn't resolve host names out of, by default. The DOS window or OS2 itself? Um, the ping command. So the ping command, the OS2 ping command, is resolving DNS. Right. It's the DOS version that wasn't. I see. Interesting. <laughs> so It's actually a copy of the MS-DOS ping command, kind of, sort of. But DOS didn't have the TCPIP stack layer as it did in OS2. I feel like I have derailed you somewhat, uh, Euro, though. Um, <laughs> so No problem. No, it's all fun. So uh, I do have other ones here. Um, I put on here, nothing to indicate program is running when middle button on toolbox is clicked. Now, it is entirely possible that I didn't know what I was doing, which is not only entirely possible, it is entirely what was happening. But I would click that. I would click on the left. I just, I didn't know when a program was running or not. You click on the middle button, it's gone. It's just gone. But you have to go back into the icon and double-click the program, and then it's still in the background. Oh, so you that's, mean... That's, that was the only way for me to bring it up to the foreground again. When you say the middle button, you mean the middle button in the group of three buttons in the upper right-hand corner of the window? Yes. Yeah, that is weird. Uh, that was the Iconify, yeah. Yeah, that one, it basically just showed you where which which applications were running through the 
slashes in the background of the icon. It was a different way of per- uh, handling uh, that kind of situation. It was that was definitely the weirder part of OS two. Yeah, it left a a breadcrumb of highlighted icons. Yep. So if you say say for example, uh, let's we we look at one of the icons on the desktop OS two system. You open up OS two system. Uh, one of the applications in there is um, system setup. So you launch system setup, and then in there you have hardware manager. So going from there, you minimize hardware manager, you minimize system setup, you minimize OS2 system, gear back to the desktop. Then you see, okay, OS2 system has slashes behind it. Uh, it makes it look like it's highlighted in gray. So that lets you know, hey, something in there is still running. So you open up OS2 system. In there you see, oh, hey, there's something highlighted in there. It's a system setup, so that must be minified. So then you see in there, oh, hey, there's... Hardware manager, that's highlighted, so I must have opened that at some point. And so it just kind of leaves you this weird trail of highlighted icon breadcrumbs. So the interface wasn't as well thought out as, like, Windows 95 was. Right, and this had come out, well, that particular version had come out uh, way later, after 1995. So, um, but, yeah, that was just, uh, that was weird. It was odd. But, um, there were, uh, some other things... Oh, hang on a second. Let me read this thing. Oh, okay. Here we go. All right. I'm just going to read it out loud. Uh, there are some programs that I'm not sure how to get it working. There are no problems. I mean, thank goodness for the internet. Uh, one of these programs was uh, allow remote configuration. I mean, I was expecting to see some sort of output from the program, but instead I saw myself staring at another black screen window. So it w- it's just, I found a lot of, uh, not a lot, but I did find some of the applications that were like that. So either I needed a manual um, or, well, now that we have the internet, I could look it up uh, to see how that program actually functioned. But there was no way to tell what what to do immediately without a manual, it seemed. And some of it was actually kind of hard to Google for because it's just, just so old. Right. Um, well, and the last thing that I had put down is uh, that some of the parts of the OS, they weren't intuitive. Like, I wasn't able to figure out how to use the shredder. I mean, that should be easy, but I I would double-click it, and I would get properties. Okay, I would throw something to the, th- to the shredder. Nothing happened. So maybe I was just u- using the shredder wrong. Maybe it's not a recycling bin, and it's not a delete program. It is something else? It's a delete program. Yeah. Okay, so I would throw something in there, and and then what? Because it didn't really... Stuff seemed to... So what I think what you missed was that in OS2, in order to click and drag, you don't left-click and drag. You can only click and drag with the right mouse button. So you have to right mouse button, click and drag to the shredder, and then it brings up a delete object dialog. Oh, right. you know, I never really tried right-click and drag. Uh, I'm so used to using the left-click and drag. Yep, it's weird. Yeah, that was definitely one of the weirder aspects of OS2 is the right-click and drag. Because if you left-click and drag, you were just moving the, the location of that, that program or that document. <laughs> well, half the time you couldn't even left-click left and drag. It just didn't True. let you. It True. would just kind of highlight files as you left-clicked left over them. But right-click started dragging. Um, I do have some, some parts that were interesting, that I found interesting from the operating system. And one of them was changing views on the desktop. 
So I don't know if you if you guys tried this, but you can actually change it to tree view and details view. Um, it's um, it's definitely different, that's for sure. The the one that was that felt the the most uh, I guess normal uh, was the uh, icon view. Yeah, yeah, that was. I mean, OS 2's desktop was a file manager, so the entire desktop was the file manager. That's why when you opened up different windows and different uh, views of that, that they didn't really close and left you that whole breadcrumb trail that you were talking about earlier, is that that was, you know, those weren't technically open. They were already open from the file manager itself, which is part of the operating system. I see. So, Eric. Well, that makes sense now. <laughs> yep. I have a question for you, um, Eric. Sure. Um, so... You said you were for a while you were using OS2 as your main operating system? Yes, I was. So um, could you give us an idea of the, the uh, programs you would use on a daily basis? Um, well, one of the main tools that I would often use was actually Zoc, which was a terminal program to dial into BBSs. Um, I also did for a while run my BBS off of OS2 Warp because it was more capable of doing multi-node systems with a single computer. Uh, so I actually ran like four of my nodes per computer with that. Uh, and the network communications on it, they actually had a fossil driver for the BBSs back then called SIO by Ray Gwynn. It was the equivalent of X00 or Zoo by Ray Gwynn for DOS. Um, some of the other programs that I would use is uh, really didn't do much back then besides DOS programs. A lot of DOS programs was majority because of, of BBS World. <laughs> but there was a particular word processor. I can't remember the name of it anymore because it was... I don't remember. Yeah, I mean, it's been a while. But there was do a document processor that I would use. I think it was actually even WordPerfect or similar to that. Um, those were the main things that I'd used, honestly. Um, how much of your workflow was done in OS2 native applications? Um, I'd say a big portion of it. Uh, the BBS one of the BBS software that I had tried using for a while in OS2 was native to OS2. Um, it was actually compiled for OS2, so it was really awesome that you didn't even have to use something like SIO to work with it because it was just built in. Um, there wasn't a whole lot that back then. There was there was very little internet stuff back then, so <laughs> couldn't really browse the internet very much. Um, mostly just, you know, basic stuff. So I guess one of the... Um... I guess its compatibility was a a double-edged sword. It was uh, great that it was great that you had DOS and Windows compatibility, but um, some developers they figured, well, why should we bother writing specifically for OS two when it'll just run in DOS or Windows just fine under OS two? Yeah, that was definitely a, a thing. Uh, there was, I mean, not a whole lot of OS two native software back then. Um, what came with when with the OS two was mostly what you got, but there were uh, there were on the BBSs a lot of OS two file distribution networks on Fidonet, so you could get a lot of programs that were native to OS two, whether it was 
uh, for BBSs or just general operating system usage, like text editors, uh, word processors, brow, uh, brow, maybe, maybe not so much browsers, but games. Uh, big thing about OS2 was actually its built-in scripting language, which you nobody ever mentioned, which was Rex, R-E-X-X. It was actually one of the bigger things about OS2 is that you could script it basically do just about anything. Automate desktop desktop tools, uh, automate uh, entire things, which was kind of awesome back then. Huh, neat. I, yeah. Actually, while doing some research on the show, I, I did run into uh, Rex. Yep. Um, right, right. That, that, uh, that, was, that was pretty neat. Uh, is it is it anything like uh like the scripting they use for something like Automator in in Mac OS X? You know, where you can um, script it's actions? it's very similar, but I think in some ways not quite as powerful as Automator. But it definitely wasn't as well. I will I will I th- I'd say it was probably more powerful than Automator, but not as intuitive. I see, because it was a full blown scripting language. So it had its own language to it, like you know, Batch was, but even more powerful than Batch by a long by by a long shot. Okay. Uh, Rex was used a lot. I'm, I'll have to uh, look that up. I uh, did not know about Rex. Yeah. Yeah, they also uh, had a, a problem with uh, Rex too. Something about I heard that, or well, in my research, people wanted to. They were putting pressure to on IBM. To release the source code and to make uh, OS2 open source, but they weren't able to, and I think that it was because of Rex. Rex had uh, some code from, I believe it was a different operating system that they had borrowed, and so they weren't able to they weren't able to release the the software as open source. Uh, the whole you know, OS2 as open source because of that. Wow, that that's an interesting aspect that I didn't I didn't even know about. <laughs> So here's yeah. a here's a fun fact. At the launch of OS2 Warp in 1994, Patrick Stewart, best known as the captain of the Star Trek Enterprise in Star Trek the, um, of the Starship Enterprise in Star Trek the Next Generation, was to be the master of ceremonies. However, for some reason he couldn't make it, and so Kate Mulgrew of the Starship Voyager was substituted at the last minute. I like Kate Mulgrew. I like Catherine Janeway, but she's not Patrick Stewart. She's no Picard. She's she's tougher than Picard. Yeah, but it's Picard. I okay. We'll we'll have to debate that later. <laughs> That's for another podcast. <laughs> yes. <laughs> All right. Um, I, I do have another one here. Uh, another thing that I found that was interesting was the sound effects that it came with. Uh, to me, it sounded like a bunch of lasers and. <laughs> <laughs> All kinds of wacky stuff happening. It was, uh, it was great. I just kept moving stuff around and everything just to hear the. <laughs> so that that was interesting. I uh, don't really know if I like that, but I kept doing it, so <laughs> it wasn't that bad. <laughs> yeah, the the OS two warp sounds were rather cool, honestly. Yeah, state of the art. Um, I ran into something that I didn't. It was another one of those things that I didn't really know what it did. Uh, and it's called Create Shadow. So uh, when you right-click the desktop, you can click on uh, Create Shadow. And, I mean, I tried it oh. several times and, and had no success using it. I know what that is. 
Um, yeah. So it's a uh, different jargon for an alias. Oh? A, a shortcut. Yeah, a workplace shell. You could make it... different shadows of your workplace, which was your desktop. So I was creating, so I was creating sh- shortcuts of my desktop? Yes. Somewhere? Oh. Okay. <laughs> Actually, That's I don't... Wild. You know, he's right. I, I don't fully understand this either. So is it like... Is it like a symlink, Eric? Um, you could do it with documents, applications, folders, and hard drives and stuff like that. But it was also the ability to switch out your desktops as well. Yeah, I don't get this at all, actually. Um, <laughs> I take it back. It was, I, I don't know what this is. It was very similar to a symlink, but it was more powerful in, a, in, a, in its own way. Hmm. Yep. So that was uh, one of those things where I, I didn't really quite understand what was going on. Uh, the other one that I, I thought was interesting because, I mean, I, I like this. I like to display all, all kinds of data on my desktop, but I can see new people getting a little bit um, a little bit intimidated by the operating system. And is that it was displaying, it was showing metrics on the taskbar itself. So I thought it was really cool. Uh, you know, I'd, I've, like I said, I like displaying all that, all that stuff. I used to have a bunch of... Uh, widgets <laughs> in uh on uh what was it windows vista when it, when you could put the widgets on the on your sidebar on the right uh so i had all my um i had the the one with the cpu cores and and uh, you know what the load was on those things but anyway um i think that just having it built in right there on the taskbar it it, it if you're just a normal you normal user I don't really think that that was really necessary for them to to see, and it could be a little bit intimidating, uh, just kind of seeing the screen and, and seeing all the stuff move in the bottom. So that was interesting. I, I didn't dislike it, like I said. And the last thing was uh, shutting down the computer is done by right-clicking the desktop and clicking shut down. I actually didn't find that. And this is, again, coming from using uh, Windows and the Mac and everything. So uh, I, I, couldn't, I didn't really know how to shut down uh the machine there is actually a dedicated shutdown icon in the taskbar to shut down right yep. and it's one of the little ones yes yep next to the next to one of those uh metrics uh like the system metrics right yes i think i i did see that um and actually i i, I wrote this first i wrote this down first and then I, and then i found that but uh i, I actually found to to uh, shut down was just by right clicking and clicking shut down that actually said the word shut down oh okay i guess that's what that is uh then later on i went through each uh icon on the taskbar and i would just kind of hover over it and see what they did and everything and then i found that one so right yep that was uh that's that but um it's it's just different it's different from from what we're from what i'm used to anyway so uh just thought that was interesting what I'll give you another interesting one. That whole uh, start bar looking thing was actually only introduced in OS2 warp 4 point something, probably 4.5. Before then, it was actually a a launch dock, which had four little buttons on it with, uh, and this actually came from uh, OS2.3 or 2.1, I think, somewhere around there. But it had four little buttons for look uh, lockup, which means lock the desktop find shut down and window list which had all your active windows and beside those four buttons huh it's actually still there it's just kind of buried oh i see so i didn't know that i couldn't find it so i was confused but 
up to the right of those four buttons was your dock of buttons, which you could put different applications on, and each docklet had a little space above it, a little upwards button that you could add more little programs to. So you could actually put all your little programs that you ran commonly in there, and even one of them, the defaults, was the shredder, which you could right-click and drag a file to and delete that file. So if you go to the OS2 system icon on the desktop, there's an option in there called Toolbar. And Toolbar has the old style, and that is the old style OS2 launcher. Oh, nice. Yeah, I'll definitely have to check that out because that's what I'm used to. Um, may I point out um, another interesting thing and follow that up with a question for you, Eric? Sure. So if you go to System Setup and then TCPIP Configuration, under Auto Start, there are some fairly modern sounding services, iNetD, Telnetd, FTPD, TFTPD, RSHD, okay, not modern, but hey, remote shell on OS2, pretty cool, uh, Portmap, SendMail, and SyslogD, among, among some other ones. Um, there's also TimeD, which I guess is similar to NTP. Correct. Um, and all of those you can specify if you want them to auto-start or be in the foreground or in a detached session. So I just thought that was kind of cool to have those those services just built right in. Uh, that was how I was sending files back and forth by uh, turning on FTPD and pointing it to which directory it would upload and download from. And So that was fun. But the question is, is OS2 a true multi-user system? Because while I could see options to log in and log out and set up multiple users, I couldn't quite figure out how to make it work like that. You know, that's an excellent question. And yes, it was, but it was designed as to be a workstation that was dedicated to a single user at first. So you would always come up with uh, the de the desktop of uh, basically the whole system. But in order to enable the multi-user support, I think you had to do some more things to it besides that. So you started with an, an administrative user on the desktop, and then Correct. you logged in? Um, I think you actually had to basically enable like NetWare login or the equivalent for OS2 before it would actually come up with an actual login prompt before getting the desktop, that is. I see. So, but But... First installation, you would actually have a desktop, plain and simple. Oh, I also forgot to mention, it also supports NFS. Yes, it does. At least in 4.5 did. <laughs> yeah, and probably the very early version of, of it. I doubt I could use it. Yeah. Um, I doubt I could hook it up to my Synology. You might be able to. I can't remember what version of NFS that is. I didn't even look. But yeah, that, that actually came only, I think, in 4.5 unfortunately, because I, I really would have liked that feature. <laughs> <laughs> um. Well, I don't really have anything else. Uh, does anybody else want to add anything to OS2? Um, well, let's see. One of the, I guess one, one of the benefits of OS2 was just how powerful it was back then. I started off with OS2 Warp 3, and then I later got OS2 Warp Connect, which was kind of nice because it had the networking stuff built in. After taking a, a further deep dive look into IBM 4.5, uh, just to point out a few things that IBM did that was later introduced other places, um, 4.5 introduced the JFS file system, which 
if you know anything about it, it was kind of cool. But if you don't know anything about it, it was one of IBM's first journaling file systems, which was uh, even a step up from HPFS, which was the high-performance file system. JFS stepped it up a further notch with JFS, which in OS2 was actually JFS2, but in Linux they just called it JFS. Uh, JFS is based on the idea of JFS1, which was their uh, AIX version of their file system, but they op brought it to OS2 4.5 as JFS2, then eventually later open-sourced it and Linux adopted it as one of the native file systems that's still supported today. Hmm. How does um, HPFS compare to NTFS? Um, HPFS is definitely uh, it was definitely a high high performance file system in comparison to FAT. I really against NTFS. I'd say uh, NTFS versus uh, HPFS was a very good contender for the first edition of H of NTFS because that's what NTFS was based on. So I'm guessing that NTFS has much more fine-grained uh, permission controls, um, support for larger hard drives, stuff like that? Correct, yeah. And you mentioned hard drive size, which actually gives me a reminder that some of your DOS games that you were, you were trying to run, it was because those DOS games were not equipped to understand such larger drives like they didn't know f uh, a even a gigabyte oh yeah <laughs> and i'm and i've been running this on like an eight gig hard drive exactly that um, makes so, sense yep you would probably be able to definitely get something running on like 500 500 megabytes or so and it would you would definitely see something different so what probably happened was it the uh, <laughs> the size of the hard drive exceeded the um, limit of the DOS file system, and it just kind of wrapped around. Exactly. <laughs> <laughs> nice. That's why when you get some of the, the some of try some old DOS games, and they're running so fast that 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 you can't even play it. It's because it was uh, clocking based on the CPU speed. In this case, they were tracking the disk space size based on how much that they had an index for which at the time was you know very small so when they were wrapped over there was a bug that caused it to say oh this is negative <laughs> hmm. so i i wonder if it's possible instead to just create a smaller dos partition and then just in install it there yep definitely or even a, add another virtual drive or another uh yeah an, a, a partition would probably do it because it would show up as a different drive in OS. Yeah, so I could uh, just do that from the installer, which by the way, the installer yep. was weird. Um, partitioning <laughs> under, the, under the installer was weird. Um, Euro, actually, you had asked about that and I haven't even touched on that yet. Right. Um, so it it's hard to describe. I actually, I actually had to look up a YouTube video and watch someone do it. Um, it was just... I don't know how to describe it. Uh, it was a magical combination of pressing enter and selecting the disk to be installable, and it just is, oh, isn't yeah. at all similar to what we're used to with typical partitioning tools. Because we're, we're used to saying, make a partition, format the partition, install in the partition, and it just wasn't like that. 
Yeah, I do remember something about that installer being one of the most atrocious things, but the the results afterwards was just like, whoa. Yeah. <laughs> it, it worked. <laughs> I mean, it, it does work, but yeah, it was it was weird. Well, uh, is there anything else uh, you all would like to add? Mm, I don't think I have anything. It is weird uh, opening up a Windows 3.1 shell and seeing just the Windows 3.1 program manager. It was weird, yes. Um, I saw that. Even just the uh, when you would open up a, a Windows 3.1 program and you would see the window around it, it would also take that as well. Yes. And so you, you would have to close on the left-hand side. It, that was also strange. Oh, yeah. It would show a, a Windows 3.1 window alongside right. a regular OS 2 window. Oh, yeah. Yeah. The running Windows programs was definitely like, whoa. Jarring it's, uh-huh. is the word. It really looks like Windows. <laughs> <laughs> they weren't kidding. <laughs> they they <laughs> literally weren't kidding. They practically yeah. had their operating system in there. I'm actually playing with Win 3.1 Paintbrush right now. Um, I do have one more thing though at least Um, one of the things that was introduced into OS 2 and I believe this actually came in OS 2.3 but I can't remember for sure was also the first iteration of volume management for file systems so you may have heard about this in Linux land it's called LVM or logical volume manager IBM is actually the company that created that entire technology from the beginning, and they introduced it into OS 2. Um, today, that, that is still used in Linux. Um, so that that's one thing that I have to say was really cool about IBM, is that they did open source some aspects of it, like the JFS2 and LVM. And that's we're still using LVM as a very popular volume management system today. I did notice the logical volume manager tool. Yep, it's actually rather intuitive in OS 2 4.5. I was actually rather impressed that I was quickly able to bring it up a new hard drive and then volumize it and then put JFS 2 on there. Is it able to boot from JFS? I do not believe so. Hmm. I think it was actually... You know, I don't know. <laughs> oh, a, a, another thing that it does uh, without any uh, configuration is it remembers every window you had um, previously launched a- after you shut down. And when you, start, when you start it up again, everything you had launched, every window, every program, it just comes right back up. And when you have yeah. all the uh, sound effects turned on, it, it sounds like just lasers going off all, all over the place. <laughs> yeah, I do remember that. I think that was one of the first things I turned off. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> Most definitely. <laughs> yeah, I don't I don't have anything else. No? Eric? Uh no, I can't remember anything else. Uh it's been a while since I've really used it as my daily driver, so I don't remember everything about it, but just some of the highlights that I thought of was just, you know, useful and good things to know about what I, IBM actually brought to the table and still are used it today. Yeah, I um, I'm really glad that we actually did this uh, episode. I didn't know much about OS two, and now getting to use it. And yes, I did have some issues with it. It wasn't that bad, and I'm I, I see how it was how it was part of computer history. You know, I I see how our modern operating systems are are modeled after these uh, these these older operating systems. They were the first ones that brought all this new technology up. So um, 
I'm glad that uh, OS2 existed and I'm glad it's still being used. Uh, I'm glad that community is still going and developing uh, apps and uh, at least porting them over using Yum and, and that uh, other companies are, are making OS2 available. I forgot to mention that um, pretty much everyone has used OS2, whether they knew it or not, because banks used it a lot with their ATMs. Yep, and yeah. banks also use it for their uh, a lot of their servers too. And it's only fairly recently that banks stopped using it with ATMs. Right. Like within the past, I don't know, five or ten years. But you know one thing you could do with OS2? You could play Doom in a window. I've got to do this. <laughs> I've got to doom this. Ooh. you got to doom that. Yeah, there was there was one particular game that I really liked for OS2, which was I think it was called Siberia. It was like this. Yes. Oh my God, I love Siberia. Yep. yep yeah. I have it too. Love it. You could. That that was one of the first games that I played on OS2 because it was also the same one that you know I told you some a friend of mine's father had. I got I convinced him to buy OS2, and that was the game he wanted to play. And when we switched it over to windowed mode, he was like, "Whoa." <laughs> All right, I am installing Siberia on OS2 now. I love that game. That's great. I love when you put it on, uh, when you try to put it on easy and easy, arcade and puzzle, and it says, easy arcade and easy puzzle is too easy. Would make the game too easy. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Yep, I remember. Welcome back to Siberia. So awesome. Yep, and I, you got to love the um, the early 90s VR, uh, <laughs> whatever that was, the, the 3D at the time. Yeah. Of, uh, of, of primitive primitives. <laughs> <laughs> that game still looks good, though. That, that was the best use of 256 colors. My favorite part of it was the uh, ship level, when you're going around blowing up other ships and you're, you're flying around. My favorite part was when you were in that, um, early on when you were in that weird little um, uh, gunner boat, and she was constantly saying, Magnetic Mine! Look out! Magnetic Mine! (laughs) (laughs) Right. Okay, well, I think we should probably conclude the show. Yes, agreed. But before we go, I should mention how to get in contact with us and the podcast. If you have any ideas or suggestions or requests for further topics or any kind of uh, feedback, positive or otherwise, feel free to contact us at forkbombpodcast at gmail.com. We are also on Facebook at facebook.com forward slash forkbombpodcast and on Twitter at forkbombpodcast. All right. Well, uh, thanks, Chris. Thanks, Eric. Anytime. Thank you both. This okay. was super fun. Yep. Till next time. Till next time. On the Computer Chronicles. I mean, Fork Bomb Podcast. <laughs> Dun dun. Good night.